0: Welcome to the Mastering Retention Podcast, presented by UserWise, where we talk to top mobile game experts about their experiences running successful games. My name is Mike, and I work on the marketing team. This week on Mastering Retention, Tom speaks with Itamar Cohen, CEO at GameBoost, about how to provide your game's target audience a reason to play your game, and a reason to pay for additional features and content. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Itamar Cohen, who is the CEO and co-founder of Game Boost. Um, We're going to get to talk about all sorts of fun things today. Um, So, you know, I I know you guys do monetization strategy, copywriting, live ops design ideas, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, But before we dive into that, you know, I always like to ask, you know, like, what's your story how'd you get into working in games (laughs) and you know how'd how'd you start your company tell us the journey
1: so that's a great question uh great to be here um so basically i started uh obviously like i'm assuming a lot of people from the industry is uh, a really avid gamer growing up uh playing games i feel like games have really contributed to who I am today on so many levels. Uh, So I was a big fan of the industry even before I knew it. And uh, I think at around uh, age 23, I started my career as a copywriter, um, just working at an ad agency. uh, And I grew from there, became a creative director, um, really focused on the advertising side. I really didn't think I'm gonna work at gaming. but then, uh, as the uh, I, I'm a little old, so I call it the tech revolution. But basically, it's the digital revolution of circa 2000, I think nine ten, um, where you could really feel a shift uh, in advertising and in other fields where things started to get more measurable, faster. Uh, more advanced and we were still writing copy ads uh still write, still creating billboards still like doing all these uh and higher things that work but uh things that felt like a little old-fashioned um even tv ads started to feel like a little old-fashioned at the time yeah and i felt like i want to migrate into tech i didn't know how um i went uh i went to study programming and dropped after two classes because it just I, Just felt like it wasn't right. (laughs) Uh, Still missing those $5,000. And um, I just, I quit my job and I was pretty lost. Um, And I remember sitting with a friend, a really close friend of mine, who just started a gaming studio. Uh, He was, he just, he was on his first entrepreneurship journey, uh, starting this company that he didn't even know what will become of it or where it will grow and um he just basically took a chance on me he told me listen you can write you can do creative you understand advertising come be my marketing manager at the company um and then it was just me him and a bunch of other guys from our high school and people email along the way just trying to build a gaming studio not really understanding what we're doing um and trying to make it and um after about Two years of mediocrity, I decided that I want to go do something else. And uh, I went to write for TV. I went to write a TV show. He continued on his journey and uh, he sold his company. He sold his company to Playtica. Um oh. Yeah. Um, and I'll uh, oh, show the story. Um, he helped another friend get into Playdica, and that friend brought me on as a freelance copier. And then I think there was a really huge product market fit in terms of up until the time I came in, I think um, a lot of uh, the way copywriting was viewed in the industry is basically the person, especially in Israel, but not a lot of people have great English. So, Can we we take a
0: pause there real quick? Can you define what copywriting actually means for people that maybe don't actually know what that means?
1: Oh, we need to go that far. All right. So so copywriting, as far as I'm concerned, is a very broad topic. Um, If I have to shorten it to one line, it would be writing for anything that needs to sell, basically. from Anything from banners to uh, scripts for uh, TV commercials to billboards to banners on the game to basically... Any aspect of the written word uh, can be written by a copywriter. In the gaming industry, it's expanded to storytelling and to tutorials and to basically every text that exists in the game. Um, okay. So Thank I, you. I did, I did some <laughs> of the, yes, yeah, so I was for some major clients in Israel and abroad. And um, when I came into, when I started working with uh, cop, The copywriting field, in gaming, specifically, was really, really at the beginning. Um, Because we come from a non-native country, most of what the copywriters at Platica did, um, and I love them, they were all very talented, but the copywriting position was mainly looked at as, let's do the best CTA button we can do, or let's do the most creative, uh, I don't know, Pop up idea we can do. And coming from the advertising field where the copywriter is often the initiator, think about a, a billboard. Think about how much you need to excel within that limited space, right? Think about the, the greatest billboards you've ever seen. It's basically someone who are creating something brilliant within extreme limitations, right? So I started transferring that into basically the gaming space, uh, helping think about not just uh, what to write, but what the cost would be, not just what the cost would be, but the user flow would be and how to properly articulate each step of the user journey. And then um, bringing in that approach uh, really worked well. Um, I started growing inside Pletica. I was a freelance copywriter on a a freelance contract uh, on a monthly basis. one day a week um and then it, the one day a week became two days a week two days a week became three days a week etc cetera, etc cetera. um and then i think circa december 2018 uh platica came with another project um but i was already fully booked i was working i dropped all my other clients i worked there for five days a week basically Twelve hours a day, just taking out <laughs> all the like, work I was in love, but I was also very overworked. Um, yep. And when they came, and and it's hard to overwork me, but uh, I over I was overworked. And then uh, what they told me is, so, "All right, bring someone and manage the work." And I was like really scared to do it because <laughs> I I felt like nobody could meet the standards. You know. I, I've achieved some, like, I've gathered so much experience, and I'm already very critical of myself, so I'll be definitely critical of other people. Um, but I uh, I still took the plunge. I brought someone in. Um, that someone did really well, and then grew to five days a week there full time, and then another one, and another one, and another one. And uh, we became this crew of freelance copywriters, we, um, who created most of the storytelling uh, work for both product and live of slash monetization. Each company has a different name for it, but um, created all that work. And then uh, one day, Platica came to me and said, Lucy, do you have designers by any chance? Can you help us with designers? I didn't have designers, but I told them I do have designers. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I brought on a designer, uh, Luckily, he also did very well. Um, and my experience as a creative director helped me also guide him in the in all the right spots. And then one designer, two designers, three designers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so basically, we basically organically grew from within the industry, just fulfilling more and more needs uh, that came from companies. And uh, all that up to where we are today, which is 60 people, um, Really helping with anything from product consultation, monetization, strategy, calendar building, and actually executing on our ideas, which basically means the art, the copy, um, making sure that uh, we can both generate the ideas uh, and uh, execute the ideas.
0: Love it. Okay. So for the nay Sorry, if that was too long. <laughs> that was great. For the um, naysayers that are out there, um, that are like, you know, copying, the copywriting doesn't matter. It's about the gameplay. Like, do you have, or, or like, could you give me like a before and after? Like, this is a really, let I don't know. Let, let's take like a, an in-game offer or something. Like, what would be a poorly written offer compared to a good offer? And like, if you had to have some sort of estimate of like conversion rate and revenue between those two, like
1: would Would it be um, meaningfully
0: different, I guess?
1: So I'll start with how I look at games from that perspective. So I think not enough games to understand that they're basically an entertainment platform combined with an e-commerce platform, right? so when when you present offers, the mere thought of, I'll just throw it out there and people will buy it, no matter how it looks, Um, it's something that's been proven so many times in different industries uh, to have a significant impact that the conversation itself um, is a little weird to me in 2022. Like you have to have the best text, the best offers, the best incentive, the best reason to buy, and the best start for the offer to really uh, resonate with the audience. And I'll give you an example, like a really, Black and white example. Yeah, uh, one of our clients tried two offers. One said something like "boost your game with this offer," and another offer said uh, "unlock this and that feature faster with this offer." So, a feature that was really exciting for the players, um, and they brought on they brought these two incentives and tested them one, one against the other, and the second one. Outperformed by I think, fifteen to sixteen percent. So non-trivial. Yeah, non-trivial. So you would you would think that um, first of all you would think that any way to present an offer and and you have more than offers also in the live off sphere you have challenges you have raffles you have all these different things um, that all contribute to an experience and. Um, If you present the offer with the right incentive, with the right reason to buy, with uh, even think about, I don't know, some games we had to introduce timers to. They didn't even think about putting timers in. Some games, we told them, listen, let's talk about how many players have purchased this offer so far. Like, copy is not only the best line, but it's also about creating uh, a series of incentives and and a really I don't know, overwhelming uh, reason to buy, which can consist of many, many things. And nobody really pays attention to it unless the copywriter or the advertising person comes in and says, listen, let's look at this as if it were an offer on that space. Let's add timers, let's add social proof, let's add whatever. And these things have proven to be very, very, very powerful.
0: I think one of my favorite examples is uh, in Game of Thrones Conquest. And if you haven't played it, just get it and play it because it's in like the first couple minutes. Um, so as soon as you complete like the initial tutorial, um, you get gifted your very own dragon egg. And mind you, if you're playing Game of Thrones Conquest, everyone wants to own a dragon, um, mm-hmm. especially, you know, in Game of Thrones. Um, and then immediately after they gift you the dragon egg, they hit you with a special offer. Now they could have, like if you really look at what's required to hatch the dragon and to play the game, it's like a thousand wood. And you just like hit the use wood to like heat up the egg and then the dragon hatches. So they could have had like a large wood deal or, you know, load up on bundle of wood or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't think that that many players would have bought that right away because they're just trying to figure out what the, what's going on in this game at all. Instead, what they hit you with is a hatch your dragon offer for four ninety nine. dollars Now, I don't know about you, but just about everyone playing the game wants to hatch. well, I just got this dragon egg. Of course, I want to hatch my dragon. So I don't really care about the contents of the offer that much. Now, at some point in the game, I might. But right now... Where I'm at, yeah, hatch my dragon. Like I can resonate with that. I can actually connect with that um, at a deeper level. And so I imagine the conversion between that first kind of bland offer and this one that actually describes what you get, um, you know, would be very non-trivial.
1: And then you could also say, all right, if, uh, if I just let any person write it. You could wind up with uh, what I see a lot in offers, which is, please purchase the software in order to get wood in order to hatch your dragon. And then it becomes clumsy. And the clumsiness uh, becomes something players are less attracted to. And then if you also test these two, one against each other, I haven't tested it, but I'm, we've seen that shortening the copy, really like nailing uh, the incentive Uh, in a few words as possible is important. And also we've seen the opposite, that sometimes uh, you do need to make sure that uh, the offer is really properly explained so the player understands what comes out of uh, whatever it is they're purchasing. So there's a huge uh, impact to how you present things during live ops, we've seen a huge impact by the way the copywriter often will also be the one conjuring the concept so what theme are we using are we doing uh are we doing uh like we have some offers that worked amazing because the theme really resonated with the players and the target audience we have some some offers that were basically exactly the same in terms of value and in terms of uh, how they were, even how they are presented like mm-hmm. even decoy offers tested once one against each other one theme worked a lot better than the other theme just because it was more visually appealing or more conceptually appealing. So
0: yeah that's maybe a good question. So like l- let's say somebody works with you, you know ideally we want to be data driven and stuff. Like do you take a similar approach, you know, copywriting live ops ideas tutorials, things like that, and like what you're writing? So we write three different versions of this and then we test them all to see which one has the best outcome or what's the best approach from like a writing
1: perspective? So from a writing perspective, obviously we would want to A, B test wherever we possibly can. It's not always something that uh, you have the resources for, the time for, the effort that you want to put in. And then um, what you try to do is you try to create the best possible version based on the things that you do already know and based off of your experience. But obviously whenever we can, we A-B test. Um, I think, and and the A-B test almost will always show some sort of difference, not always super significant, but always will show some sort of difference. So if we can, we'll always want to uh, try as many things as possible. Copy, definitely, and art, even more. Like, art can really influence uh, if players buy and how much they buy.
0: That's great. Um,
1: so, people, A-B test as much as you can. <laughs> but then, what, 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 what I'm, I'm sure you hear a lot is, all right, we want to edit this, but we don't have the working hands, or we want to A-B test, but we don't have the resources or the time, and that is usually where we try to come in and give the idea, and then get the feedback that no, there's no time for it, and then tell the people, listen, we'll help, like tell the work with the studios to really hit that volume uh, of work that. I believe is required to really boost revenue because you will often see studios giving up on like really impactful things just because there's not enough uh, capacity or there's not enough time. And I, I look at it as a waste, like the, we work obviously with some of the biggest games in the world and you will often see that there's a huge opportunity, but there's just nobody to really like push the button. Um, And that's where we try to come in. So, okay,
0: here's a question. When does it make sense to really focus in on some of these kinds of things? Like what size game, what revenue audience, you know, because, you know, if a game has 10,000 daily active users and it's only like 20,000 monthly, like they've got to really retain, but it's a small audience, like, is that worth putting a ton of effort and stuff into like, are you actually going to see ROI or like, does a game need to be a certain size before it's really makes sense doing an investment, whether it's internal or, you know, an external solution, kind of like what you guys have.
1: So I guess the question is, when is it a good idea to do live ops? And the answer is always, (laughs) um, because, um, Let's say you have you have games in different life cycles, right? Let's say um, let's say that you're a mature game with a really strong uh, a core audience, but you can't really seem to grow in terms of uh, retention and user base, right? So the obvious, not the obvious to me it's obvious, but the obvious strategy would be let's create the best possible experience for the players who are already hooked. On our game and are are playing very actively, and the most cost-effective way to do that is by live ops because we have games who the players would never notice, but we have games who don't have any product, don't have any marketing, um, and all all the players' experience is basically very sophisticated live ops campaigns. Um, that really keep the game alive in their perspective and that could sometimes be the difference between a game that's dying really fast and a game that's maintaining or even growing um, because they have a really strong user base they're just looking for entertainment but uh, they won't last if the game won't create that dynamic entertainment every day yeah
0: can you tell me a little bit about you know you you, you guys have done a lot of this but like What's, in your opinion, the best way to go about designing like a, can- a calendar of Live Ops and you know coming up with new campaign and event ideas?
1: So you have the core philosophy, in my opinion. You have the reason to pay and the reason to play. Every day you need a reason to pay and a reason to play, which basically means what challenge-slash-engagement activity are we doing to push the players on that day, week, whatever, it could be a part of a week, but what do we do on that day that's special, that's an extra layer on top of what the players are usually experiencing? And uh, how do we connect that with the best possible reason to buy? Like, will this reason to buy help me with my challenge? Will this reason to buy really be connected with what I'm experiencing in the game, right? So I would often try to connect these two, maybe even create a similar theme, and try to make these two really work well together. Um, and we and on certain occasions we would add a topper. A topper is what's called, is what's it's what's used when you want to give that extra push and you have a topper on your backup lamp, which means if let's say for example we reached uh, two o'clock uh, and noon and we see that the game is underperforming maybe a flash sale maybe a happy hour kind of thing, like that extra layer on top um so i think a really strong well-balanced calendar is a calendar that has a really strong reason to play a really strong reason to pay and a topper a topper can also be um I don't, I don't know if it's exactly a topper, but a raffle could be could a, could often give that extra push for for players to engage or buy. Um, so I would say that a web balanced calendar is something that has multiple events happening every day that complete each other and really work well together to create a holistic experience.
0: So I really like that everyone needs a reason to pay and a reason to play. Um, does that mean that as you're designing for a calendar, you need to be thinking about the different player archetypes who might have different reasons for playing the game? You know, this person might play for the social aspect. This person might play for the competitive aspect or what have you.
1: So Israel is the master of segmentation and analytics <laughs> and economy. So, so
0: I've <laughs> heard. So I've heard <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, but usually the approach to to segmentation would be a little more complex than that. Uh, I don't know if we can match the exact message to the exact motivation, but we would definitely first play with the values and make sure that the values are well segmented and that each player gets values that are really well adapted to their behavior and their, what we call a comfort zone. Um, so mastering, the, mastering, understanding the player's comfort zone. For example, let's say you're uh, an avid, uh, I don't know, you're an average match-free player and uh, you complete uh, five levels a day. So our campaign will usually push you to six, seven, or eight uh, in order to get the prize because we want you to engage more than you used to. And the offer will usually help you get there. And uh, the end result is you bought and you played for example, so, and and then we're gonna segment it for you because you're gonna get eight levels and the player that completes one level a day is gonna get two levels. And uh, we're gonna try and build it uh, in a way that is really adapted in terms of value. And then the more sophisticated uh, the strategy gets, the more you segment and the more you micro-segment uh, until hopefully achieving a really well-personalized calendar for each player, which is like the Mecca. It's super hard to do, um, but that's the constant effort.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess if I'm thinking about designing this calendar, I guess, you know, what would be the Platica way of doing it? Um, or I, I mean, probably any other company over there handles similar in terms of like segmentation and stuff. Like, do you always try to have a particular offer and event per segment, or are they sometimes kind of grouped together or like, you know, cause I can just imagine that there could be this tremendous amount of operational complexity that comes in. If I have to do something for, every single group, every single day, every single time. I also could make the case that probably you would have better revenue upside, but the amount of hands and time that that would take to really do effectively could be non-trivial, I guess, is where I'm getting at. So,
1: Yeah, so I'm going to try to answer without without disclosing any specific uh, client uh, best practices. Um, I'm going to say that, what we will usually try, uh, especially with clients that are not political where we are more involved in the process from the beginning and really have a hands-on approach and everything, we will try to create a calendar that's as segmented as possible. Obviously, um, while focusing on the players that generate the most traffic. So um, the first, uh, and, and play them play the most. So the first initial segmentation will be based on uh, LTV be based on uh, general activity and uh, we will try to look for other interesting ways to segment within that based on the individual game. so uh, I'll give you like a general example. Uh, we had a game where um, the top, X players in each tournament qualified for this mini championship. And we saw that, uh, let's see, the four or five players right below them also played hard, but didn't get uh, the proper treatment. So we created something for those specific players and we saw a big uplift in revenue because we recognize that there's a micro segment within the game that's not being properly treated enough. Um, and Then they got like a really strong, offer and uh, an additional challenge. So you have those general segments based on uh, how much a user pays, how much a user plays. Um, and then based on the individual game, we'll analyze the game and we'll say, all right, this is a place to go, this is a place to go, this is a place to go. Another thing another thing where I strongly advise uh, people to do, which is a really, I think, a strong method of understanding What can we do and how can we excite the players in terms of live ops? Because I always have this, um, when we start working with a client, we do this trigger reward table um, where we try to understand all the triggers in the game and all the possible rewards we can give. And uh, then you start uh, understanding that you can do either interesting things or not interesting enough things. And then you ask for more triggers or more rewards. you often find that uh, maybe we can build a maybe we can build a a, micro, a a mini quest. Maybe we can have the players do free missions uh, with each mission challenging them a little more, and then create an offer that really helps them go from mission two to mission three. And um, that's how we generate the revenue. Or we can do an offer that pushes them from offer one from uh, mission one to mission two, and then from mission two to mission three. Um, Or if we understand that you're going to need multiple purchases probably to complete this, then we're going to maybe do a punch card, uh, do a punch card event on that day and give the players an extra incentive to purchase multiple times. So it's like this big puzzle where you try to build off the logic of how players would behave. Uh, Obviously, that uh, you try to to engineer the behavior as much as you can. And then you try to create... uh, the most powerful, personalized solution for that uh, behavior that you expect to happen, and if you get it really wrong, well, you build a twelve billion dollar company.
0: <laughs> so you're you're getting close to a subject that's near and dear to my heart, um, and that's almost live ops difficulty design. Um, so let me tell you about some experiences that I've had as a player, um, where sometimes there's events that come out that are just like so like I can't figure out who could possibly ever complete this thing like even if you're spending money like who's who's able to do that and so like um I've played League of Legends Wild Rift um and you know I was kind of like curious well like you know could I complete this playing a decent amount like replacing my other games with this Um, I had a similar thing with the, uh, the magic, the gathering arena game. I actually, I think I purchased that battle pass like once or twice. Um, and in both cases, like I, I was playing a lot, like to the point that my wife was kind of getting irritated that I was playing so much at home. Um, and I was nowhere near completing either of them. And so I was like, I can't even fathom how much time it would take, like a a normal person, that probably plays less than I am. Cause I mean, I'm playing like a couple hours a day at least um, till like, I get through these things. So, you know, from a difficulty perspective, like how does that play into the design of, you know, the campaigns? Like, are, do you try to design an event? So like your average player can fully complete it. Do you try to design it so that the average player is going to get to this point in time? So we're going to put something really awesome, like a little bit further down to try to get them to play a little bit more or to pay some money to get to that point or, what's your approach on the difficulty design? Because I think as a player, it can be very frustrating if you can't complete any event ever.
1: So what you're describing is basically what I think most big games are afraid of, which is a PR problem. Basically, (laughs) basically what they're afraid of is something that happens is for you, for you to get a certain amount of difficulty, and for your friend next door to get a certain amount of difficulty let's say you need to play x hours to complete the challenge and he needs to play half that to complete the same challenge for the same prize. <laughs> and they're afraid that you're gonna screenshot it post it on Facebook and he's gonna and everybody's gonna get pissed off and say that this game sucks and they're leaving it so um, and that and and that fear generates poor segmentation or poor uh, or poor adaptability so we don't even look at that like we're like every player is going to get uh their challenge uh and their own prize and their own numbers and if two players compare and for one for one of the players it was a little bit easier that day then this is the, the methodology this is this is how we operate the game and uh, uh i think people uh in the world of uh i'm trying to book a flight and I just refresh the page and it's a hundred dollars more. Like this is, we're trying to create a personal experience and there's no, there's no real way to do it, uh, in my opinion. There's no real way to do it um, that's completely sanitary. That uh, on the one hand, each player gets the exact challenge that he wanted or the exact difficulty that will push him just right. And uh, try to make sure that all the players get the, right, the same challenge and, or the same uh, effort. So, for we personally don't try to don't try to create something that's exactly the same for all the players, um, even if it looks the same. If that makes sense. Gotcha.
0: So, it's basically going to be nearly impossible to make everyone happy with like one event that everyone gets it exactly the same, basically. Think about it.
1: Yeah, think about it. You just, you just started playing a week ago. Can you enjoy a challenge the, uh, the same way that a player who joined three months ago and made uh, 10 purchases is going to enjoy? It can not happen. Like, I can't create with, with, with one number. Like, I can't say, all right, kill 100 uh, people or 100 characters and you're going to enjoy it as much as someone who's been in the game for a year or two is going to enjoy it. So you might as well get kill one character, and he'll get the kill 100 characters, and that's the only way I see how to do it. Uh, if anyone has a different idea, write to Tom, and let's discuss.
0: <laughs> cool. Um, I I know that you guys do some push notification work, um, and a lot of people scoff at push notifications. It's like, not really that useful most players don't engage in them anyways like uh, what's your thoughts on, on push notifications like can they actually work well be useful
1: so i have a couple of stories right when I those? yeah when i first started working with platica i was they prefer to call it platica but let's call it playtica um i opened the game and I was like, who's playing this? Like who is actually spending their time playing slots, spinning all day, making coin purchases, progressing between machines, like who's doing this? This is boring to me. Like I'm like an avid gamer. I used to play civilization and championship manager and like all these heavy games that require a lot of thinking. And the first thing that you need to do is instead of thinking about your own individual experience, you need to start looking at numbers and get that inside information or that insight about who's playing it, why they're playing it and what are they looking for. So I think the gaming industry helped me be a lot more humble. And by that, if I, by that, what I'm saying is, is that just the fact that, just because I don't like push notifications because I am a CEO of a company, and my WhatsApp is turned off. And it doesn't mean that um, it doesn't mean that the sixty-five-year-old woman that I'm trying to, to get to play also has their notifications turned off. And it doesn't mean that she doesn't want to play, or that she doesn't want to get four notifications a day because she's lonely and her phone is not ringing unless it's uh, a game sending her push notifications. So. Uh, and that is backed up with data. Like I've seen games send a lot of notifications, and I've seen retention rates and uh, I've seen retention rates drop whenever we go from I don't know, three notifications to two notifications, to two notifications to one notification. So I would say that I would say that each game, I guess, is is individual. I would say that push notifications have to be valuable, which means they either have to communicate valuable information or they have to give out free currency. Um, the one thing I I really don't like, and, if, and we've also seen that works a lot less well, is just these, we missed you, are you going to play? No, <laughs> you missed me and I'm going to play if you give me free coins. So, So make sure to have some sort of strong incentive in the push and make sure to be on top of it. Like have your analysts look at the results. Um, If you're using a a platform, like I'm not sure if you guys uh, allow push notifications for real platform. Um, So just look at the numbers. See what happens when you go from one to two, from two to three, and see how your players respond. Um, uh, Or try to even, I don't know, Try to segment your push notifications. Try to send yeah. your most engaged players free a day and see what happens. Um, so definitely you can scoff at it as much as you want, but it's an ultra, ultra valuable tool. There were there were about five minutes where there was an even more valuable tool, uh, Facebook chatbot. Um, they used to be amazing because it was really hard to turn them off and, and find yeah. the right, button and they worked even better than the push notifications but then facebook really uh tightened the leash on that so push notifications are back to being the main source of communication for games looking to attract new uh, players back in the game makes sense
0: i love it well it's amar i know we're we're kind of out of time here Uh, i feel like i could keep asking you questions for like an hour or two so maybe we'll have to have you uh come back sometime and we'll do like a working session or something uh it could be fun fun to do together um for folks that are you know very intrigued about this and maybe want to learn more about you know game boost and what you guys do and what you kind of offer like is there a good way for them to get in contact with you
1: so the best way is our website uh gameboost.co uh no m at the end um we try to keep the website really simple. You can see everything we do. Um, we are thinking of revamping it to make it more focused on live ops, which is our really, really core strength. Um, but in there, you can get in touch. You'll see the button, it's very uh, clear. And uh, we love to hear from you guys uh, and just learn more about what you do and how we can help.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you. Again. Hope to have you back sometime.
1: Thank you so much. It was great.
0: Thank you. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye.